0: steven hello steven hello, Stephen. how are you and, holding up during this election
1: period well as well as can be expected it's been you know it's been it's been fast it's been a weird election because you know except for sort of the chatter and social media and you know dominating the news uh, there's not that much going on i think i've seen one candidate i've seen a handful of signs but not that many and it's just sort of flying under the radar well
0: it uh, as far as signs go I have seen a lot of signs around like the the area I live in is solidly conservative. Um, And I've seen some red signs pop up this time that, you know, almost in defiance of the the conservative hegemony that has existed here. And it's going to change because there's a lot of uh, housing developments being built up here um, for people who are coming out of the city and the people coming out of the urban core are going to be more liberal than the people who traditionally lived here up North. Um, so I think that's gonna change, but there, nobody comes to, to our house because we live on a Crescent that is pretty much secluded. There's only 10 houses and they're gained no advantage for, from a sign on our street because nobody, nobody sees it. Nobody comes driving. There's no, no heavy
1: traffic through our, our Crescent. So they don't bother. Um, no, and, and we're the same way you know I live on on a downtown Toronto but on a, a on a one way uh, at the, the dead end of a one way street. So um, no one you don't get a lot of drive by traffic where where we are unless someone is lost. Um, so you know no no signs. When I grew up uh, the house I grew up in my parents are still in uh,
0: is a corner lot on a busy street. And so. Uh, it's a sort of a side street but one of those streets that people take instead of the main streets and w- constantly people come into the door and they would put up the big arterial signs the the really large ones on the and one of the things i learned when i was campaigning when i was in politics for a brief window of time is that you can always get italian homes to, like uh especially like immigrant italian homes older people can always get them to take a sign because they want the wooden stake for their tomato plants <laughs> and this i know that this sounds stereotypical hey no i got a I couple have of imp- stakes in my garage they're great <laughs> i have <laughs> empirical evidence that this was true because we would put up we would put up these big signs that use two wooden stakes and we'd drive by and we would see how they rigged it so that they could they took one stake out of it uh just <laughs> to, to start using and had to sign up on only one stake it was uh it, it it was an amusing factoid i'd gathered during my uh,
1: my two campaigns my two ill-fated campaigns um, well my other favorite thing was uh, you know it's been a long time since i've knocked on any doors for for any candidate but uh, you know there are neighborhoods especially in downtown toronto where they just love signs and if you, you know, and you go and you see there's a sign for the two other parties or maybe three other parties already on their lawn. And you go like, well, there's no way that, that you know, they they seem to be already committed, but you knock on the door anyway and talk to them. And you say, well, would you like a sign? Sure, I'll take a sign. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just like having colorful stuff in their in their front yard, like it's uh, Tibetan prayer flags or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I want one of every color. And, uh, and uh, you know, I heard, you know, someone was, was being very... Uh, They'll you know, say, oh, very nefarious because you know, maybe they come from a country where if, uh, it, you know, if you're not shown that you support one of the parties, then you know, they're, you know, someone's going to visit you in the middle of the night. And I, go, I think they just like colorful signs and they just like talking to people or maybe they have a hard time saying no. Um, and you know, who knows if they even vote at the end of the day. But, uh, but you, know, you always ask for the sign because you never know whether or not they need it for tomatoes or they just like the pretty colors. Well, something that was told to me back in the day was the signs don't vote.
0: So don't judge the outcome of an election based on who has how many signs out. Because yeah. sometimes if you're in a, a safe riding, uh, safe liberal or NDP or conservative riding, the candidate doesn't tend to invest a lot of money in signs because they don't really need it. But that doesn't mean that they're behind in voter interest. So who knows? Yeah. Um, just well, like driving- who...
1: yeah i was gonna say driving north of the city i mean you see tons and tons of people's party of canada signs the purple signs but then oh you realize God, yeah. th- that they're all on public land they're off the side of the road none of them are actually on people's houses so they go out and they 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 put them you know they, they clearly don't represent voters at that point because you know they're on on parkland or you know the median strips or beside the highway um it's uh like like you say the, the signs don't vote it's interesting you know one of my friends in in the ndp was saying that a lot of writings i mean they, they're really good at maintaining their lists and uh of supporters you know they're what, you know, what are called in the trade the mark lists and as soon as an election is called the signs go up on people's lawns without even talking to the people because you know they assume that that you know if you vote yes for them once they're you're going to vote for you again and they and, and they also play the numbers game which is okay people will have moved or you know maybe you know maybe they uh, they don't really want to sign this time but they can take it down themselves in the meantime you know you wake up and, you know the morning after the election and the sign crew's been out and they've papered the entire riding because they're working from the last elections list whereas i've always found you know, some, some, some liberal campaigns are, are not great at doing signs. Um, they're, you know, they, they seem to be slow off the mark and hard to, you know, hard to get people to actually commit one way or, or the other. It's, uh, and, you know, in literature too, you know, I've seen very, very li- little literature over the uh, course of the campaign. I think oh, I've had that, one that's door hanger and, yeah, and something that, through the door. Because they're
0: afraid that people will see them as anti-environmental because they're putting out mass mailings. I think that those have pretty much gone the way of the dinosaur. And yeah. now they have signs they figure that you'll go out there and you'll, you can just
1: Google their name if you want to find out about them. Yeah, and you know the NDP, they, well the, the, the Conservatives have done. It's interesting, sort of the media buys. I mean, how they reach voters. You know, the Conservatives have had a really, really big media buy on um, traditional television commercials. You know, you'll see the same AeroNoTool commercial three times over the course of of a half hour show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so and uh, and they're very, very big on Facebook. And very, very big on uh, radio as well, because I, I guess I assume that's where their demographic is. Yeah, older people. But uh, but um, the NDP, you, you can't open a window on a on an online newspaper or publication or Facebook or something without seeing a Jadmeet Singh commercial running in the corner in, in, in a little window box. See, I um, see uh, I've,
0: there's a liberal one that uh, looks like a, uh, a truck commercial. Have you seen this one? Oh, it is. And it's not not actually a Liberal Party one. It's
1: actually a third party. Was uh, oh, it a third ad. party one? It's, yeah. It's, and it, it's, it's very it's,
0: expensive and rather brilliant.
1: Yeah. And it's probably the best political um, campaign advertisement I've seen. I'm trying to remember who did it now. I don't think it was one of the unions. Well, it's very definitely
0: it's... an anti-conservative mm-hmm. ad. You know, they, they they make a O'Toole into a truck model. Right. And, and it, they use all the shots you see in truck commercials. And then when it finally stops, the, uh, the emblem in the back that says O'Toole, one, one side of it breaks and it swings down and underneath it, it, you see the stencil for the word Harper and saying it's the same old policies. Um, brilliant yeah, and, ad. And, and, and I just remember it's done by Unifor. You, oh, okay. Unifor. They got money. They can afford to do decent ad. I looked at it and said, this is
1: smart. Oh, it's one of um, the best ones I've seen. It's clever. It's funny. It's, you know, it's got a surprise ending. It's got all the stuff that, you know, keeps you engaged. Yeah. And, uh, and like I was saying, it's not being done by any of the parties.
0: Well, that's, uh, that says something about the quality that they're, in, they're hiring. Interesting about the People's Party. There is one house uh, near me that has a People, People, the PPC sign on their actual lawn. Um, and the guy up here, his large signs the bottom of the line sign says because the other options suck with an exclamation mark.
1: <laughs> that's... Well, you know, he puts it out there. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I guess the tack that he th- is winning tack up here.
1: Um, there's... there's another uh, um, uh, people's party candidate uh, again, in one of the rural areas where he uh, his tagline underneath it is bring God back to our County. And and, which maybe we're like, well, maybe God left for a good reason. Yeah. Um, It's uh, but, you know, that you see the mixed bag of nuts who they've got running for them. Yeah. Um, And there's no no sign discipline either, apparently. No, I think they're just lucky to have uh, have candidates, you know, who uh, who haven't uh, shown up on uh, on CNN's, uh, you know, the who who are in the insurrection on the January the 6th (laughs) down in the States. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: it's been an interesting election because the prevailing wisdom before the writ was dropped was that this was going to be uh, smooth sailing for the Liberals to a likely majority. And out of the gate, it was clear that this was uh, the race was going to have a very different complexion. Uh, initially, there was the Conservatives and the NDP put a big buy on ads everywhere and put out policies. They uh, they really exhausted themselves very early and their attacks on Trudeau, they started very early so that by the time people started paying attention to the election uh, past Labor Day, those attacks were stale already. They don't have anything new. And so I think that it translates to people as that's old news. Yeah, You don't want Um, to peak too early in the campaign. Yeah. And I think that's why Trudeau, they held back, they held back, they held back. Like I've said in the past, like Rocky in the, in the movies, uh, he takes a beating and lets the other guy wear himself out. And then he comes roaring to life. Now, I I don't think the liberals are roaring to life, but they're definitely coming back from where they were. There was a story I read that uh, in the GTA, the liberals are 20 points ahead, but across Ontario, it's kind of a toss up. And the GTA is very
1: important for deciding who gets elected. Oh, there's 40 seats in the GTA, and uh, again, the, you know, I think the Liberals got all of them in the last election or the election before. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, when you're you're dealing with the kind of razor slim margins, I don't think the uh, the Conservatives have made any headway into uh, the GTA. And the NDP, I mean, I, uh, there's a couple of ridings that they're, they're, you know, they have their hopes pinned on, especially when, uh, you know, some incumbents have, have left. But, you know, to pick up a couple of there uh, in, 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 in Toronto generally uh that's it that's not going to swing the election um you know the conservatives again we're seeing the the rural um urban split which which is what always kills the conservatives uh, you know it kills the liberals too because they you know they don't make any inroads into rural areas although you know there are all kinds of uh, polling out there right now that says there's three seats in alberta that are uh, quite possibly going to go liberal for the first time in yeah, ages. calgary center mm-hmm. is one of them yeah, and you know, with uh, Jason Kenny's ad- admission that he 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 basically screwed the province um, uh, over COVID uh, the other day, there's you know there was actually a couple of candidates who were who were tweeting. Um, who, who are saying that, you know, could you, could you not have waited five days? And clearly, they couldn't have waited five days because it's really, really terrible in Alberta right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it just tells you how bad it was that Jason Kenney couldn't even wait until after the election to, you know, to say, look, here, here's the, you know, I've got bad news and I got worse news about how things are going here. Uh, maybe we should assess the uh,
0: various campaigns to this point, And we're recording this uh, just a very few days before the actual election. Before the um, last weekend. Yeah. So let's talk about the Conservatives, first of all. They, they came out of the gate fairly strong. And uh, Aaron O'Toole was somebody the public had no real perception of, and the perception they did have leaned to the negative. Now, usually when that comes out, the political opponent, opponents take their time to, uh, or take the opportunity, rather, to define who that candidate is in a way that serves opposition interests. They didn't do that. The liberals didn't do that really with Aaron O'Toole. Tool. They tried with that ad to tier tool that Christoph Christia Freeland put out, which Twitter flagged as being misleading, but then Elections Canada later looked at and said, no, quite accurate. Yes. Um, but you know that that correction didn't get the level of interest that the initial uh, Twitter removal did. Um, he so they allowed him to, to define himself as the you know the the genial blue collar
1: guy, and which that worked for is, him. Well, yeah, which you know until people pointed out that his father was uh, was an MP for for uh, nineteen years, and was a uh, in management at General Motors. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to say that you're, you know, a man of the, you know, that you're not political, that you don't come from, you know, you're not sullied by politics when your you know, your father was in politics successfully for, for 20 years. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh, but the, again, they, they knew who they were targeting and they did a, I think they did a pretty skilled job of defining Aaron O'Toole in a positive way. Um, I think that their campaign has been tight uh, that it has been orchestrated, and it's clearly put together by professionals. It, the The content of their ads are in, in large part fictitious. They're charged that uh, Trudeau is going to tax your house, which is completely untrue, but they continue to repeat it because they know it gets traction. We're very much in the age, and this isn't new new, but the degree of traction people get now by putting out statements that they know aren't true but they know will get traction so there used to be that that a lot of these the criticisms at least in my experience were fact based but spun in a certain direction yeah now they're not fact based anymore they don't care and this is you know we can thank trump for showing this to be a winning winning mod, model they don't care if it's factual they just care what will the people believe and out they go, knowing that the what they're putting out there is fictitious. Um, I think that uh, O'Toole stumbled when he said that you know his his uh, policy on guns was different than the policy that was put forward in their platform, and he got the the image of being somebody who flip flops and says whatever it is he people want to hear. Um, and I think that there was some novelty about him because of the three leaders he was the one people knew least and so there was some novelty about discovering this this new quantity um, which as time wore on and he became very clearly part of the uh, political firmament that they uh, maybe there was some loss of that that appeal of somebody new somebody fresh because they they were I mean they were they've done much better than even they suspected they would do. And now again, votes haven't been cast yet, but they've done much better than even they thought they would, would do. And uh, even with the the missteps, the fact that the election is in many ways too close to call is a compliment to the uh, conservative camp campaign. And Aaron O'Toole, Aaron O'Toole has made some, foolish statements along the way but nobody has made more foolish statements than Jagmeet Singh of the NDP he continues to i, I love he makes broad statements but has no follow up so when he's on a, a native reserve and somebody says how would you fix this res- the problems here and he has no answers all he can say is trudeau didn't fix this and but how are you going to fix it he has no answers he tri- typically When he criticizes Trudeau and anybody asks him, well, what would you do differently? He has no answers. And there were just, we were talking, you and I, just before we went on the, uh, we started to record. uh, Tell us about the most recent gaffe by, if it is a gaffe, by uh, Singh.
1: Well, it, it, it's saying and O'Toole because you know the, the Jason Kenny thing obviously is is hurting the conservative brand because you know Jason Kenny was was a, a Harper cabinet minister as was O'Toole, and the two of them have been joined at the hip, and O'Toole has been has said on numerous occasions that you know Alberta has the ideal. Covid strategy and Canada should be more like Alberta, and you know when Alberta is you know following the data and opening up and and opening up before everyone else and they were going to have the best summer ever, giving everyone you know starting with the stampede and you know everyone ro- r- running around unvaccinated with masks, and that you know we're going to we're going to live with Covid as opposed to you know get ourselves uh, in a place where Covid disappears. That was sort of the whole thing, and O'Toole kind of got behind um that and uh so it's been obviously very very embarrassing and probably will cost him a lot of votes because it's all blown up in their faces because it's proven that conservative policies when it comes to covid don't work so in uh singh who never misses an opportunity to try to uh, beat up on trudeau as well he joined and basically said that uh you know uh, that the the failing of alberta was actually justin trudeau and they actually put out a press release on September 16th, um, where, you know, Trudeau said, look, the provinces have, you know, they, they run their, their on-the-ground uh, local responses to COVID. That's the way we have a confederation. We have division of, of powers under the constitutions we've offered to help. But, but Singh says, you know, um, that, uh, you know, Trudeau has failed to show national leadership to fight the fourth wave and some of the things that, that he didn't do, according to the press release that Jack McSing came out with, is that he he didn't use the Emergencies Act, which we used to call the War Measures Act. I mean, it was renamed the Emergencies Act. Um, He he ruled out using the Emergencies Act in the provinces uh, and refused to implement public health measures and didn't commit additional resources like the Canadian Armed Forces to the hardest hit regions. So this is in direct response to Alberta's situation. So Singh is saying Alberta's um, you know, healthcare crisis is Trudeau's fault, and here's what he should have done: he should have invoked the War Measures Act, the Emergencies Act, and sent the army into Alberta. Um, I'm not sure how that would play, particularly, uh, and you know, another Trudeau invoking the uh, the War Measures Act and sending an occupying army into Alberta when he's offered help and tons of money to Alberta, and the provinces have said no. I mean, Ontario said. Yes, to uh, some help from the Canadian Armed Forces when the long-term care homes were particularly hard hit and they admitted they couldn't handle it. They didn't, you know, but that was at, their, at the, with the permission and request of the Ontario government. You don't send these people in uh, against the, uh, the will of a province. And so, you know, Jagmeet Singh is basically saying Trudeau failed uh, Alberta uh, and trying to hang you know, the, the public health crisis because of disastrous conservative policies or or UCP uh, policies in Alberta, and Trudeau should have done these crazy things um, as a result. And I'm just looking going, do you have no idea how this country works? Um, You would would think that if you listen to his statements going back
0: even a year, he makes statements that he criticizes Trudeau for not taking action on long-term care homes, for example, and but long-term care homes are under the jurisdiction of the provinces. And he knows that there's a lot of ignorance out there. People don't know that there is separation of powers and figure that if the federal government wanted to, they could still do it. And that isn't true. You have to negotiate with the provinces. There are agreements. And interestingly, on long-term care, when, they asked, when he said that they should uh, nationalize long-term care uh, homes, they asked him, how, we, how would we pay for it? Because it's paid for you know, by the provinces and where would the money come from? He so says, we just handle it the same way that we handle uh, our current health, uh, health act, but it, doesn't wor- it wouldn't work that way. It's not the same thing. And his, but he's playing on, I believe this is deliberate at this point. He's playing on the ignorance of the public about how the system actually works. And so he is speaking like an Archie Bunker character, uh, talking, talking nonsense. And he gets traction from that, even though he's a man without any idea. Oh, well, he's got ideas, but he hasn't got any idea how to implement his ideas. Um, he isn't, I find him dishonest because of the fact that he knows what he's spreading is misleading. He has to know that it's misleading because otherwise he'd have to be completely stupid and i don't think he's completely stupid um, he's in many ways like a backseat driver who sits back there and says i would have turned there and i would have turned this way or i would have gone straight i would have gone through the light all these things but, but not recognizing
1: the reasons that the driver made the decisions that they did well, so- and you know and the, the thing that underpins all of his problems is i mean you know it, it, he's never going to have to live up to any of these provinces uh, provinces, because you know at uh, you know at 20 percent in the polls 18 20 percent in the polls it's not like he's going to form the government anytime soon and have to uh, have to live up to any of these pro- uh, provinces. so you know you can say whatever you like and you know, his go-to has been you know well how are you going to pay for this because it's you know it was costed out and it was it was it was uh you know, a ton, a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, and a whole bunch of stuff wasn't costed out as well. So it's been, uh, um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, 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 of money that isn't even accounted for. And the whole, and the whole thing is, well, we're going to tax the rich and taxing the rich has been the mantra of people since Roman times. Um, and, you know, the reality is the rich always find a way to avoid it, and yeah. even more so in a globalized economy where money has absolutely no loyalty, no nationality. You can move it with a push of a button. You don't have to uh, pack it all into a steamer trunk anymore and snuggle it out of the country. You set up shell corporations, all the rest. And you know, he says that he's going to get $60 billion um, out of the super rich. Now, you know, I looked it up. I, there are 47 billionaires in Canada. Um, and the and he, so he said, well, we're going to do a wealth tax. And I'll preface this all by saying, yeah, the wealth the wealthy don't pay enough. Corporate tax rates are way too low. Although you know it's an international market, so everyone is competing against each other in different jurisdictions with the lowest corporate tax rate. But you know we have pretty shockingly low tax rates in in Canada for corporations, and you know high you know the highest we have tiered income tax and the highest tier doesn't pay enough it's not big enough and 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 there aren't enough people who pay it because the super rich have armies of accountants whose one job is to make sure they don't pay any taxes and i you know i remember at law school reading the income tax act at that time it was about 1200 pages plus all the decisions all all the uh, references all of the regulations all the interpretative bulletins it isn't you know people who go like yeah plug those loopholes it's like they plug loopholes every single year, um, and, and they, the CRA—they want to collect taxes. They're not trying to give anyone a break, you know. So they they go after people. They get a ruling, or they find you know they plug a loophole and they open up. A, a, there's another one that they find a way to do it. You know, this is the game that people have been playing with the super rich forever, and it never raises any money. And in fact, you know, the wealth taxes—I mean—sounds like a great idea. Europe a lot of European countries uh, introduced a wealth tax, you know, sort of along the same lines, which is, you know, you know what you're, you're going to be taxed on how much money you got in the bank or what, you know, what you're worth on paper. And the problem is you are worth it on paper. So if you're the Westons, I don't think they've got a Scrooge McDuck vault somewhere. You know, maybe maybe Galen Weston does have uh, one where, you know, you go swimming in the gold coins and the paper money. Um, their stuff is tied up in Loblaws. So you know if Loblaw's is worth a hundred billion dollars, I'm sure I don't think it is, but uh, and you're going to put on a one percent wealth tax, well, where do you get that money? Do you sell Loblaw's? Do you, you know, it's a going business, and this is what's been pointed out, and in Europe they found that when they introduced it, it was so unworkable because of liquidity and social issues and money leaving the jurisdiction that all but a couple of countries have abandoned it being um, too expensive and not raising any money, Um, and so but his entire castle of spending is built on this idea that there's this magical source of money among canadian super rich and as i said it's a pretty small class of people that uh, you, you're not going to be able to afford any of these things they say he's not going to be in a position to actually follow through on any of his promises but the money that he says is going to pay for all this stuff just you can't access it yeah and
0: but again he is what you just said is textured and nuanced, and includes history, uh, you know, anecdotes that uh, tell us why it wouldn't work. All of that is more work than most people are willing to do. And we know that there is animosity amongst people, you know, blue collar, even white collar workers um, who aren't earning tons, and the, between them and uh, who they perceive as the rich. And so it's always, you know, I'm working my ass off, tax the rich more. It, there's, you know, class envy plays into it. Uh, and he knows that he, he, there's a rich vein of voting there. I mean, Trump uh, capitalized on the animosity in the US between uh, classes. And Singh is, is working the same angle. Again, I'm sure that he knows that everything you said uh, about how the, the tax doesn't work has been implemented and doesn't work. But he knows that all he has to do is, is get the hearts of these Canadians who like to carp about tax the rich, tax the rich. Hell, even I've said it, you know, tax the rich sure. more, tax the and rich it's, more. It's
1: a, and it's a great slogan. And like I say, you know, and, and the idea of a wealth tax, I mean, who could be against a wealth tax because, you know, God knows I'm not wealthy. So it's going to be, it's going to fall on somebody else. And, uh, and like I said, you know, Europe had 12 countries with wealth tax. And today there's you know, only three left, Norway, Spain, and, and Switzerland. And, they, and like I said, they found it was expensive to administer. It was hard on people with lots of assets, but very little cash. It distorted savings and investment decisions because, you know, okay, well, I'm not going to put my money in Canada. I'm going to put my money in Barbados or in China or, or someplace or in Hong Kong where you know, no one can get at it. And and it pushed the rich and their money out of the taxing countries, and it didn't raise much revenue. So the whole thing it, it boils down to like you say a, a glib slogan, you know, tax the rich, uh, and but it's it's completely meaningless when you look at any any of the studies that have looked at it. And you know and, and uh, you know when I put that out on Twitter, people are like, oh, you know, you you're just you know defending the rich fat cats. I'm going, no, I'm just saying it it we where it's been tried, it hasn't worked. Uh, well, that's no reason why we shouldn't try it here. Yes, it is. It's a, it's a reason why we shouldn't try it here because it was expensive and didn't work. Um, that that's why you look at how what other people have done so you don't make the same mistakes. But you know, but it's an article of faith, uh, and the entire campaign has been sort of built built on just that. But again, is it a lie? Is it a spin? Um, I think it is designed to to you know, as a, as a smokescreen for, you know, the, the, the craziness of the promises.
0: Yeah. It, because Singh is not tethered to the possibility that he will ever have to deliver. It's easy for him to make grand proclamations. You know, it, it's like I could make a great proclamation about how I'm going to spend your money, but I'm never going to get your money to spend. So I can make all kinds of promises to people but it's never going to come to pass. And the the the, the threat, though, or the likelihood, is that he could be—he'll be the balance of power for a a minority government, and, oh, yeah. and, and and it looks like he probably will
1: be. Yeah, and and he'll continue to demand these unreasonable things as the price of of his support, and you know people will go like well we don't have the money for it you know not that not having money in these years has been uh, much of an issue because you know we've uh, you know we've borrowed uh, you know a ton of money to get through the the, the covid and yeah. i think sensibly so but uh, you know you can't do that forever it's uh it, it you know and both singh and o'toole out of the gate tried very very hard to to run the narrative and to frame trudeau as a certain kind of leader and and it's a lot of it didn't work because a lot of it has been baked into the cake already i mean this is this is the second election that where we've gone through snz lavin and and uh, Ju- jody wilson raybold who just happened to come out with her book you know a week and a half before the election it, so you know so jody wilson raybold drops her book and she makes all kinds of of personal stories about you know how how trudeau looked at her and she knew he was he you know he wanted her to lie i'm not sure how, how she knew that particular it's like a bad to harlequin romance it's like his smoldering eyes uh, said yes 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 yeah. even though his mouth said no um it's you know and it's completely at odds with the testimony that she gave before the justice committee as well where she both said you know she was asked directly did the prime minister the the privy council office um ever tell you uh, um, to uh, enter into remediation agreement with SNC Lavalin, she said no. She didn't equivocate. She didn't you know, one-word answer no. And, you, and she was asked on multiple occasions: Did anything illegal happen? Did anything that happened to you in the SNC Lavalin case cross the border into illegal? And you remember, and she is the chief. She was the chief legal officer of uh, of Canada and, and a lawyer herself. She was asked: Was any of it illegal? And she said, I think eight different times, no. What happened was not illegal. Now she comes out with the book, and it's all legal. But you know, a lot of that stuff just is, is sort of baked into the cake. But what the liberals, you know, have been able to do is by exposing Singh and O'Toole to the scrutiny of the public and just letting them talk. People have changed, I think, their perception of their personalities and their parties because you know they've sort of let their mouths run and people go like oh that's kind of offside or that's not true or you know in O'Toole's case you know he you know wanted to run like you said as as you know champion of the middle class he's sort of is soft peddling his military background when some people kind of pointed out well you know he went to rmc uh, he was 12 years included uh, four years at royal military college while he was doing the degree and then uh, he had to pay off his degree with five years of, uh, of regular army service, and then he went to law school um, while he you know served in the reserves. Reserves are great; they're the background one of the Canadian military. But you know it, it isn't sort of the, the 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 narrative that he wanted to uh, to give you know, like you know the bomber jackets and all the rest of the stuff. So you know that, so he soft peddled that. But the Liberals have been able to tease out mostly through their through conservatives own candidates and their refusal to answer certain questions that they framed the election now about guns um, because you know the coziness between the conservative party and the gun lobby which I can't believe is is that big or powerful I don't know why the why the uh, conservative party feels like they're they're bound at the hip with them I mean it's part of their their Alberta rural base but uh, you know guns have have come to the forefront and, and dominated the, uh, the the debate, as well as abortion, um, which you know, I, last I saw, there were 51, I think, uh, conservative candidates who've been endorsed by the campaign life coalition, who are on the extreme right wing of the anti-abortion uh, movement in Canada. Um, and so with everything going on, guns and abortion have come to define the conservative party again in this election. Um, and, and like you said, two-tier O'Toole, you know, the, uh, you know his refusal to, uh, to say that, uh, that he would preserve uh, the Canadian healthcare care system without bringing in, you know, all kinds of private services, you know, for pay services. So they've kind of had their campaign turned on them. And, uh, you know, and Sings, you know, Sings has been marred by right-wing style, uh, angry and, and misleading memes uh, you know, they've really taken a page out of the conservative um, uh, playbook when it comes to running campaigns. And most people thought, you know, the NDP is supposed to be better than this. I mean, they're the, they're the moral voice of parliament. They, you know, they holier than thou and they're Simon Pure and all the rest. And they get right down in the mud because they see the conservatives doing it and they, they think it works. And, you know, sadly, it does work. I mean, studies have shown that negative advertising does work. And they go like, well, I want a piece of that. And so they use the same sort of dirty campaign tactics. And it's, I think it's really hurt their brand.
0: I hope it has. I hope that uh, their vote uh, recedes. Like traditionally in uh, election campaigns, the NDP polls higher than they actually, the, the percentage of vote they actually get. Uh, so I hope that that he's left with no more than what he's got. I suspect he may get himself a couple of seats because of disenchantment with uh, the liberals. Uh, I mean, I I have a feeling. I don't know why. I have a feeling that this election is going to be a surprise, and I don't know in which direction. I don't know if it'll be a liberal majority surprise, if it'll be a conservative majority surprise. Um,
1: I have a feeling the polling is just not accurate. No, I've got the same sense. And there's a real wild card, too, because, you know, normally you stay up on election night and, you know, you bite your nails and, you know, about uh, about midnight, you've got a sense of where it's going Uh, and you may have a sense of where it's going just sort of generally, because I say it's really hard now to take the pulse of the nation because, they're, I was surprised to see that the undecided is as small as it is. I saw one poll saying the undecided was down to like 9%. And that's that's freakishly low, um, even this close to, to the election itself. Usually people, they, you know, whether or not they're undecided or not, they, they'll tell you they're undecided. Um, they're just being cagey about their votes. But for it to be just as, as small as 9% tells me that, they're in the, that, that the election nearing at this point isn't making much of an effect. It just confirms people in their own beliefs and, you know, that 9%, you know, generally at this point, uh, the conventional wisdom is it splits according to what the poll is. So, you know, they're not likely to all jump in one direction. Um, but uh, it's, you know, it, it's, it's going to be difficult and it's going to be compounded by the fact that we had a ton of mail-in ballots. And for them to be counted, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't, think, they, I don't think they get pre-counted um so I don't think we'll know on election night and and I shouldn't say it because I'm I'm not sure that's something I'm going to look up but it may well be that we have a couple of days after especially when you know there's there's 40 or 50 ridings that were won by by less than two percent in the last election um those mail-in ballots could flip an awful lot of ridings from what you see on election night yeah I
0: I don't know why I have this gut feeling that there's going to be some kind of surprise but it's just been building in me during this whole campaign that, that I think we're going to see a collapse in the accuracy of polls when we see the results. Um, that's just my my gut feeling. Um, take it for for what it's worth. And it, it's the liberals are kind of caught in a catch-22 because they can't tout their efficacy at Dealing with COVID, which is one of the, which is the thing that won them a lot of loyalty amongst Canadians. Without talking about the fact that we're going to be in another wave, and who do you want running it? Do you want do you want us, who it, you know generally people uh, approved of the way we handle it, or do you want to throw it to another party who has to start from scratch? And you know do you want to change horses in the in the middle of the ride. They can't say that because then it comes back. Well, if there's another wave coming, why did you call this election? And I know his explanation is that, you know, in order to deal with COVID and with its aftermath, he really wants a mandate. And we all know that's bullshit. Um, that That won't withstand the criticisms that would come if he brings up the COVID response and the fact that there's more COVID out there. So one of their greatest strengths, they can't really use. And then because they got uh, censured by Twitter on two tier o tool, they're hesitant to to make use of that, even though I think that's a huge wedge issue. Um, so they've been hemmed in uh, by their own their own doing, so to speak, and by Twitter, who who are the idiots at Twitter who decided something was misleading? I mean, what great political there?
1: If if they did that on a regular basis, then be no Twitter. Well, well, you know, well, yeah, there wouldn't be any Twitter, but, you know, you'd go like, okay, well, this is, you know, this is one of a whole bunch of things that they've flagged, but it's like, I haven't seen that flagged. I mean, except for sort of, you know, some COVID nonsense, um, politically, I haven't seen that flagged since, since Trump, and nothing we've done has, uh, has, you know, in Canada has, has risen to that level. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, of, of spin and falsehoods and all the rest, but, you know, it was uh, an unusual step for Twitter to take, and they haven't done it since. I don't know if they got you know, their, their fingers burned because there was a lot of blowback for it. But you know, the opposition parties made tremendous hay of it until, like you said, on you know, the Elections Canada finally looked at it and said, no, no, these these were fair comments to make. Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, yes, it was edited, but there was a link to the full thing underneath, and it still captured the gist of what Oduo was saying. So it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't misleading. Um, but you know that gets buried back on page 14 because you know the 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 the, uh, the modus operandi of the Conservative Party and and the NDP as well has been to keep saying these things and say them so they only have like a day and a half cycle and then they're on to the next thing. And So you've already forgotten, uh, you know, about about the two-tier tool. You've moved on to something else, uh, and you know it's been disproven. It, but you know the next the next uh, half truth is, is is already lined up in, in the pipe and this is you know this is sort of the the you know and this is a a, a real policy this is a real plan that they have I mean the conservatives went out and they hired um, topham Garum uh, who are the UK consultants who've uh, who worked on the brexit uh, thing and you know they, they said in one of their uh, one of their uh, um, uh, uh, conferences that you know you've got to surprise people you've got to shock people you've got to unlock an emotion in people um we you know and you've got the things you've got to unlock constantly are anger excitement pride and fear um you know, you, your con, content should be relating to one of these emotions for anyone to give a damn about it. So you see, I mean, and, and they are, you know, they're called the, the practicers of the dark arts of, of, of political persuasion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that's why the conservatives hired them. And, and they've worked in New Zealand, they've worked out, you know, in all kinds of places. And they work, you know, specifically to those sorts of things. And the whole idea is to keep the hits coming. So a voter finally just gets overwhelmed by it and can't sort out, you know, can't go do the deep dive into whether it's the wealth tax or, you know, or any of the issues that, uh, that you know, the one you talked about, about the house tax, which is completely made up, uh, you know, that your home equity is somehow going to be taxed by the liberals. And, I you know, I feel bad even repeating it to, to, to debunk it, but it's, you know, it's been debunked so many times and your principal residence being exempt from capital gains has been in the Income Tax Act for all kinds of time. Uh, The only time that uh, you would pay capital gains is if you're a house flipper and you're not actually living in the house because then it's not your principal residence. And that's right in the Income Tax Act. Uh, And there's never been a a discussion about changing that. Um, But it's a lie and you repeat it enough. And I'm sure there's lots of people who are homeowners who are absolutely sure that if the liberals get in, they're going to tax the capital gains on your house. And again, it's just because they found something that would cause fear in people, they deliberately plant a seed, they get all of their uh, media outlets to repeat it, even just to uh, denounce it. I mean, even denouncing it reinforces it in people's minds. And they do that deliberately to scare people into thinking the Liberals are gonna steal your house. People's perception
0: of political circumstances is very shaky. Um, I found that uh, people citing liberal scandals when asked, what are those scandals and what was the meat behind them? They say, it's, it's, it's evident. It's right in front of your face. What is it? What was the scandal? What was the dishonesty? What were the lies? And they can't tell you. And the ones that do tell you, tell you a alternate universe version of what happened. Like somebody telling me on Facebook that Trudeau broke the law to give his mother and brother inside information so that they could make extra money um, with the we charity. And I said to the guy, that isn't even close to what the allegations were. There's no accuracy in that. Oh, yeah, you're just saying that because you're a show. I said, no, read about it and you'll find. And I laid out for him, this is what it was, this is what the allegations were, and they were found to be unfounded.
1: Um, And and at the same time, you know, who does O'Toole uh, trot out on the campaign trail this week? Uh, Brian Mulrooney. And uh, in in, in his speech, actually, in front of Brian Mulrooney, he's talking about, you know, liberal corruption and how the conservatives are going to clean up corruption. And I'm like, Mulrooney's going to like, hey, I'm sitting right here. Yeah. Um, it, you know if, if anyone's read on the take, uh, you know, the, the story of corruption under the uh, Mulrooney government, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's an art form that they raised corruption to at that point. Uh, but again, you know, this is because, you know, the liberals uh, have, have, have successfully created a character for the conservatives during this, this campaign of, you know, guns, abortion, and the Stephen Harper uh, era. And so, you know, they're, they're bringing out Mulroney, I can only think, I mean, in Mulroney, you know, up until Stephen Harper, he was empirically, you know, all the polls said he was the least popular, most hated Prime Minister in Canadian history. Um, so when you're bringing him out, and, and what are you what are you trying to tell your your voters are you trying to reassure them that the old PCs the progressive part of the progressive conservatives represented by Mulrooney a kinder gentler kind of uh, of of conservative um that that's who they are again that they're not the Stephen Harper right-wing party of nuts and kooks and gun nuts and right-wing Christians and 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 you know, the, the, what they have been ever since the refounding of the party. So I thought it was really interesting bringing out Mulrooney, trying to salvage their brand or associate themselves with a brand that doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, you got to be pretty desperate when you're bringing Brian Mulrooney out as, as, uh, as the kinder, gentler face of the Conservative Party. Yeah, that's, that was an
0: interesting, an interesting move. And I don't know that he swayed anybody. Um, I don't know that he has the pull anymore, uh, the stature to really influence anybody. So it was a nice move, but was it anything that uh, had impact? Uh, I I don't think so. And the stink of corruption has successfully uh, stuck to the liberals because the uh, NDP and the conservatives... Just kept yelling corruption, 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 they yell it enough, and people think and i 've had people say this on social media where there's smoke there's fire, and yeah. I always say sometimes where there 's smoke, there 's an arsonist and they, but it, they successfully had it stick so that people have this notion that it 's a given that the liberals are corrupt, even though if you actually look at what it, what the corruption was you know the corruption allegations. There really weren't any corruption allegations. There was the breaking of the Ethics uh, Act, but that's not all against the law. And what did, you know, what did Trudeau get wrapped on the knuckles for? Got wrapped on the knuckles for taking a vacation with a family friend he's known since childhood. Nobody alleged that this was in, in, you know, a quid pro quo for getting some kind of extra access to the prime minister's office. That wasn't even alleged. It was just. It goes against the ethics act. Yeah, you got um, a free holiday. Yeah, so you, you can't do that. Um, so it broke
1: the letter of the rules, yeah. but well, and it was it was wrong and stupid for him to do because the optics of it were terrible, and uh, you know. Uh, but like you say, it, it, it's a pretty, pretty minor thing when it comes to, like I say, no one's getting rich on it. Nobody's, you know, giving out uh, contracts to, uh, to friends and all that kind of stuff. This is, uh, you know, or lining their pockets. It's, uh, you know, getting their, it, it's, it, it's It's pretty chump change Canadian. Well, and the other one, what came out with
0: SNC-Lavalin, if you read the transcripts of what went on, it was very clear that the PMO was acting and they actually said they were acting without telling the prime minister what they were doing with regards to SNC-Lavalin. So these uh, overzealous PMO staffers violated something they did. I don't think they realized they were even violating anything with what they were doing. Um, And as you mentioned, Wilson-Raybould said that there was nothing illegal that went on. And so they got wrapped for breaking the ethics act. There, I think it was a wrong ruling, but nonetheless, that was the ruling. But it was pretty clear that it was the prime minister's staffers who were uh, overzealous. It wasn't the prime minister himself that was directing any of this. But you know that that's nuance, and nuance goes to social media to die. Uh, People don't want because the minute you start talking about nuance. They think that you're just making up excuses, not that you're giving answers, but that you're making up excuses to justify what they think uh, happened. If they say there's corruption, and I point out there actually wasn't corruption here, there's no quid pro quo. No, no. Um, you're just an apologist. So, no, these are just actual facts. There's no uh, tilt on these facts. This is the, These are the actual facts as they were re- reported in the public record, and they just think that you are tap dancing for whichever party you're, you know, you're explaining the circumstances about. So, you know, again, what's the weakest part of our democratic system? Voters, because they don't educate themselves. And now more than ever, they're easily let around the nose by repeated headlines. And opposition politicians know that they know repeat. A lie loud enough and long enough and people are going to start to believe it or believe at least there's something there or as some people said to me just because trudeau wasn't charged with anything criminal doesn't mean he didn't do anything criminal so that's an absurd statement yeah. <laughs> you know in and of itself it, it, what um right now the 338 uh poll tracker has the liberals uh, ahead you know this is this is just today on the uh, 16th of september has the liberals at 144 seats plus or minus 46. And that's that's a big plus or minus. Yeah. Yeah. And the conservatives 128 plus or minus 40. Um, So it's really anybody's game. I'm very curious how this is going to turn out. I mean, there was no enthusiasm for the liberals, but there might be people not willing to say, because it seems like it's not popular to say that you support Trudeau. Um, I I think that there may be people people who aren't willing to say that. And so maybe the polls aren't showing his popularity. Maybe they are showing his actual popularity. And the the fact that uh, there just wasn't any enthusiasm for this election. I mean, this election was a giant mistake for the liberals yeah and and
1: we said that you know a week and a half before the election was called you say boy, it would it would be you know everyone was talking about being election we said that that is not a good idea at this point um just because you could you know there's always the potential for backlash for calling what is framed as an unnecessary election um you know and again i understand why the election was called but i think trudeau probably could have coasted quite quite happily for a while on on, uh, you know, on in a minority situation, even though you know two years is sort of the, the you know the the average lifespan of a minority government in Canada, but uh, you know but having called it and I, I saw someone you know put it very very uh, succinctly, which is you know uh, Ontario learned that when you you know if you get cranky with a a, a, a established fairly competent government and you're you just want to. You know, um, teach them a lesson don't vote for a government like ford because you know you end up hurting yourself um you know to, to be able you know just your crankiness gets gets harnessed and and people make irrational choices sometimes but you know i think there is some enthusiasm for the election and some of this i'm sure is due to the uh the fact that we've got the uh uh, the, the the pandemic going on but you know I was reading that the mail-in ballots account for about 800,000 which is a little less than uh, Election Canada was prepared to do but uh, but that's still a lot but uh, we set a new record in advance polls 5.8 million Canadians voted over the four days of advanced polling in Canada and that shows that you know in spite of the lack of signs and all the rest of the stuff people are taking it seriously um you know where it goes from there whether or not this ends up being yeah, you know, the whole election has sort of felt like a by-election to me and the problem with by-elections is that's it's when votes. people come well nobody votes and it, it usually ends up being a protest goat uh, vote on, about the government um i think people have had enough of a chance to look at at singh and look at o'toole and you know, look at, at maxine bernier and, and wherever the green party happens to be uh that People have gone like, oh, you know, I'm mad, but I'm not that mad uh, to, to actually screw things up, especially when we have the example of, of what happens, you know, with a, with a government like Alberta has had that has just bungled, you know, and Ontario, that has bungled the, uh, the, the COVID response so badly and, you know, literally killed people.
0: I'm surprised that the $10 a day uh, childcare wasn't, isn't like being trumpeted uh, you know blown from the 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 rafters with trumpets because that's a campaign winner again oh, yeah. i don't know i don't get the liberal campaign um the thing about the lack of enthusiasm for the for the liberals is that there is an enthusiasm amongst the conservatives and a commitment to vote i think because they think we can actually knock trudeau out we have a chance now so they have more they are more committed to showing up and voting than the laissez-faire uh, liberal supporters who might not w- want to be bothered going out to vote. Um, so it's, it'll be interesting. It's going to come yeah. down to who
1: shows up at the polls. Yep. And you know, the, like you say, the liberals have always been far less ideological, you know, in, in, in fact, you know, the, the liberal philosophy is whatever works. Um, it's not driven by economic uh, theories or by, you know, theories about uh, how, how how venal people are and, you know, you need to ride herd on them. You know, and like you said, you know, especially the current Conservative Party is very ideological. Uh, you know, part of its problem has been that it, it sort of limits itself to a very narrow fringe on the right which is being eaten a little bit by the um, by the people's party uh and that you know that could siphon off enough support in a couple of key ridings that the uh, that the conservatives uh, end up you know losing squeakers because of the split vote on that side the uh, the greens haven't been a force and you always worry that they're going to come off of the liberal end um but you know and they they seem to not you know, they just, they're just their own internal, you know, their poor campaign and their leadership issues and the lack of money and, you know, all of the stuff. Um, you know, they've just been nowhere, which means it really is among the three parties with the, uh, the, the, the People's Party nipping at the conservative heels. But, you know, the, you know, the NDP is, you know, has an ideological base as well. Um, you know, it's a little bit looser as, as time goes by. But, uh, you know, again, trying to get people who are non-ideological out to vote, you know, it's hard to, it, it's really hard to motivate them. And like you said, I thought going into this election, the $10 a day daycare, and I'm sure the liberals thought as well, that that is the campaign issue. That is the winner. You'd have to be crazy to get rid of that because O'Toole has said he's going to get rid of that. Um, you know, and what he proposes in its place is is pennies on the dollar when it comes to uh, this sort of thing. So it's... Um, it's it's really it's been, be... a, it's been a weak
0: liberal campaign in my view um they haven't been nimble they haven't been able to pivot i mean the, the most successful um communication from the liberal campaign was that clip of prime minister trudeau going off on the rebel news reporter yeah and that went viral people were and i'm like you know what that's that is the Trudeau that they needed to show this yeah. time. I think a lot the, of people are saying the, like, finally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the guy that beat up Patrick Brazot. That's the guy who people can feel, can get excited about being behind somebody with that, with a bit of fire and that bit of wit um, and the balls to say those things. It went viral. It was, it was trending on Twitter for quite a while. Uh, the clip circled the globe and that's the most potent piece of campaign communication I've seen out of the Liberals. That and when he uh, quipped at the guy who made a comment about his wife.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we call, he, he called Sophia whore, which yeah. the uh, you know all of the uh, the media will not. Oddly enough, they will not uh, print the actual insult. Yeah, um, because that gives context to the response uh you know and, and Trudeau you know said uh, you know don't you have a hospital you should be picketing um uh, you know just you know a version of uh, you know isn't there a house you should be haunting yeah uh, um which was a you know I thought a very mild response and everyone's like oh that is you know prime minister shouldn't say that kind of stuff they were all over him and it's like no the guy called my wife a whore what am I gonna you know you want me to sit here and take it no so I, gonna... I think it
0: would go badly if he let his wife be called a whore and did nothing yeah um it, who was the U.S. presidential candidate who, when asked about what what he would do if his wife was was raped, uh, broke down? Well, actually, I, I'm confusing the story. I think he didn't. He was cold about it, and that made people lose interest in him. I forget who it is. It's just a vague notion in my head. Uh, it was somebody who lost uh, lost steam in their campaign because he didn't seem to be uh affected emotionally by the the question about his wife being raped for whatever context they were discussing Mm -hmm. um i think that uh i don't know uh i think most men who are married uh see what trudeau did and said you're damn right you you did you did what i would have done if they criticized my wife so we'll have to wait and see this is all talk next week uh we'll be doing the uh post-game
1: show yeah like they say the only poll that matters is the one on election day and uh you know it, it is it, it is a bit of a mystery because you know because of the issues because of the politics because of the the you know the lies and the you know the influence of social media so you know it's uh, you know normally and how close it is i mean you know when when the two major parties are are virtually neck and neck at 30, 31%, uh, you know, a lot of it depends on how those votes are, are split, I mean, you can win a, a riding by two, uh, two votes in one place and lose it by 10,000 in another. And that isn't shown in the actual, uh, you know, your poll results that uh, that sh- that that shows only at the ballot box. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. And you know, it would have been interesting too, I saw uh, if some someone was saying, well, if we had proportional representation,
0: oh my you god
1: know, the you know the liberals would have you know like 125 seats the conservatives would have 120 seats and the people's party would have 25 seats and it's like oh, you know that that's you know one of the reasons that uh, proportional representation it, it just it opens the door and lets all the freaks in yeah and, no thank uh, you i don't yeah. i don't want israel's knesset
0: um <laughs> no. You know, I don't want which is
1: on its what seventy first government since World War II, I think.
0: And um, governments that have been held hostage by the votes of small uh, fringe parties, who have had yeah. disproportionate amount of power because they represent the balance of power in a coalition. It's a terrible system. Terrible system. Um, do you want
1: to make a prediction for the outcome? I'm sure I'm going to say, Oh, before we do Ted Cruz is the person you were thinking about. Oh, um, Ted Cruz. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, well, and Trump famously made uh, uh, disparaging comments about his, about his wife. So bold predictions. I think the liberals are going to come back with, you know, they're going to drop two or three seats. I think the NDP is going to pick up those seats and uh, you know, the block probably another, another, another s- two seats. Um, I think the Greens are going to be down to one seat if they're lucky, none for the, none for the people's party. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be basically status quo, quite possibly with the Liberals losing one or two seats, basically. That was what my initial,
0: when, we, when, when the writ was dropped, that was my initial feeling. Um, my feeling now is that I can't call it i just because i have oh you made this, me call it now you're not going
1: to call it <laughs> i well i think it'll either be a liberal minority or a conservative minority <laughs> well and the conservative minority would be interesting because it would be the block propping them up and traditionally that has not gone well for canada when uh, the conservatives get in bed with the separatists yeah um because you know that was mulrooney's deal with the devil you know back with the uh, the, the old block. um but uh, you know i don't think that would be you know unless they have like a clear majority between the two of them that would be a would be a very unstable and i think unfriendly government well time will tell i i this time next I'm, week we'll I'm know i'm
0: leaning towards liberal minority um but i can't help but feel there's an x factor out there that the polls aren't covering so conditionally i think uh liberal minority but I, like i said there could be an upset. I just feel like there's an X factor out there.
1: Yeah, no, there definitely is. And, you know, I'm, I look at the pollsters and you see, you know, Nanos is always skewed a little bit towards the Conservatives. You have to take maybe a point or two off of their predictions for the Conservatives. It just seems to be that way. But when you kind of mash them all together, you know, the Liberals have got, a, you know, a little bit of a lead. And it all depends on what ridings are able to hang on to uh, that are, you know, way, wafer thin uh, uh, pluralities. And it'll depend on the enthusiasm
0: of the voters voting for the individual parties because people need to show up. Traditionally, yeah. by-elections uh, uh, have low turnouts and low turnouts typically favor an incumbent, but yeah. I don't think that's the case this time. So we will see. Let's, uh, let's call it a day and agree to reconvene next week after the dust settles. It's in my calendar. All right, thank you all for listening. Stephen Lawton's can be found at Twitter or on Twitter at Stephen Lawtons, which is S T E P H E N L A U T E N S. You can find my work at NewMusicNation.ca, a uh, video music channel that uh, focuses on independent Canadian artists. So check that out if you want to get introduced to new music. NewMusicNation.ca, and uh, that's the end of the day for us. Thank you, Stephen. Hey, always a pleasure. And I can't wait to see what we have to talk about next week. Oh, there will be something. Um, and I'm Stephen Kurzner. Thank you for listening. This has been Stephen and Stephen.